0: Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, September 4th, 2017. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 7, and we are at page 91, paragraph 4. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, June S., the 12 traditions, Nancy H., and reading the text are Jane B., Deborah S., and Larry K. The reference number for Sunday, September 3rd, special edition is 10,386. That's 10386. OA Preamble Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members.
2: 5. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. 6. were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 7. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And thank you for the opportunity to be of service.
0: Have a good day, everyone. Thank you, June. I will now ask Nancy H. to read the 12 Traditions.
3: Good morning, everyone. Happy Labor Day. I was going to say happy Fourth of July. That's wishful thinking. Anyway, um, the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in Matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overreader who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overreaders Anonymous should remain forever non professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 9. OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overreaders Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public re- relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for the privilege of letting me uh, read. Thank you, Nancy. How our meeting works?
0: and for readers, it's six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 91, paragraph four. I will ask Jane B. to begin reading. She'll be reading two paragraphs and we will comment on both. Thank you, Jane.
4: Yeah, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Happy Labor Day. Uh, We are on chapter the bottom of 91. When he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. If he is an alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. If you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Don't at this stage refer to this book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can, if he is not too alcoholic, but insists that he if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. okay, thanks. I'm Jane from g b from Florida, a recovered food addict um okay, so here we are back into helping working with others, and in this this is where the shift goes from his experience, and we can draw it to our experience. We assume that the the alcoholic who we would like to get sober, of course, or abstinent, has some interest, and we descri- we begin to describe ourselves and how baffled we were. At least I know that for me, I can really be convinced when I when it was pointed out to me that my my thinking is led to the to the binge. I needed to see that the struggle that started it did not start in the in the food it started in my mind and when i show we says show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink this is a very important part of the the chapter because as in on page 35 in more about alcoholism it describes the mental twist and we can go into a little more detail about that but there's so many times i can remember that I, I didn't even know how I got into a binge. It was just one minute I was thinking normally, and the next minute I was giving up a year of abstinence. And, and don't ask me how that happened. And I knew that there was some feature that I didn't understand. And again, we're talking about myself as the food addict. I'm not focusing on the alcoholic. I'm really trying to, I'm not trying to brand him, like it says, as an alcoholic. I'm only get, putting, keeping the focus on myself. It's so much easier this way because if I tried to sell somebody something that they didn't want or they were beginning to, they would become suspicious. So for me, um, I really dwell on that hopeless feature of the malady, the illness. Um, It's that queer mental condition surrounding the first drink or the first bite. It does prevent the normal functioning of the willpower. And we can even see that at the end that, you know, he is severely afflicted. There may be little chance he can recover. At some point, we have to really insist. This is where the shift also becomes where we are telling him that this is not just a a malady. It is a, he he and I are, we are severely afflicted. And there's very little chance that I can recover by myself. I have, and I can show him examples of how many times I've tried, how many times I started diets and ended, how many medical leaves I left and eating sugar only on weekends, locking myself up in the house, just all the substitutions to keep me from eating. However, the most important part of this, these two uh, paragraphs for me is the mental twist and to not brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusions because really nobody's going to convince him but himself. There is no, this is a self diagnosed disease. It doesn't matter how many times a person has gone out or not, they have to be convinced. We can't convince them. We can't get them to see the truth unless the truth is, unless they're ready to see the truth. So um, on page 21, it constantly, it, it talks a lot. Yeah, thank you. It talks about the real alcoholic. So, you know, we can really – we really talk about our own experience first and the normal functioning of our willpower, which is none. Thank you for letting me share.
0: Thank you, Jane. Okay, who would like to comment? We're on page 92 from the very top, where we started at 91, reading through two paragraphs.
5: Charles Katie, B. From
0: Katie G for Boston. Okay, I got Amanda Charles B. B. Katie, Amanda B.,
1: Okay. Charles H. My. Katie Vasa. Okay, anyone else? Or we'll go with each four to start. Jana okay. O from uh, Connecticut. Dana O.
0: Okay, Charles H. Katie G, Amanda B, Vasa O, Dana O. Charles H you're
5: Good morning, happy Monday to all. Because that's all it is, Um, and we work every day because we we're grateful to do that. Charles a recovered compulsive overheater. I like to drill this man. there's so much here. I like to drill down where it says we suggest you do this as we have done in a chapter on alcoholism. Um, This is just a clear indication that we shouldn't, you know, just be telling. the, compul- the real compulsive overeater or the candidate or the prospect or the protege, whatever you want to call the individual, just don't call him a compulsive overeater. You know, don't brand him, right? But this is a clear indication that the sponsor is just another compulsive overeater willing to hold a flashlight and, and show them the peculiar mental twist for, based from the big book's perspective and identify in with your own perspective. Um, we should be sh- we should be uh, studying this text with our protege. We shouldn't just be again. This is what it's saying to me. This is speaking volumes to me today. We should be spending time with that protege. They not going to know. They you know I I I I've studied the text with many people and many people keep falling down. Um, we fall down every day. <laughs> you know um, we fall down every day. So we should be studying this text. And there's several places in the big book, even in the third edition and and in the story that say, you know, chapter two and chapter three, chapter two and chapter three. Even in Vision Field it says, you know, we should refer to chapter two and chapter three. Because the real composite, if you don't know, you don't know. And these people are coming in right now. It's, you know, the summer's over, you know, so the sun ain't shining. You cannot run the fork no more. You know, you never could. I never could. Can't my mind. Um, so show them the, the the peculiar mental twist that starts with that first one. And every time they pick up, every time I pick up, i got to go to step one. i got to go back to the beginning. I have to go back. You don't have to if you don't want to, but then don't get mad Um, and don't blame the 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. If, if 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 you're not following, it's an open book test, ladies and gentlemen. And believe me, I've relapsed. You know you know what? I haven't relapsed because I ain't have recovery because I ain't studied this text and, and follow these instructions. I try to skip over it. What are you talking about? But he's talking about the mental peculiar twist. Show him from your experience. Show them Virginia Beach. Show him that about the ketchup. Show them about the orange juice and the things out of your story because only one compulsive overeater can reach another compulsive overeater. If you believe in this text and if you induce this thing, like how I induce binge foods, you will recover. You ain't that special that you cannot recover. And and with that, I pass. Thank you, Amy G., for your service.
1: Thank you. This is Katie G. Um,
0: no, I'm not. I'm KDF. But now I'm calling. <laughs> okay identity crisis okay now I'm calling on Katie G and next will be Amanda B thank you Katie hi hi Katie this is Katie G
6: you can be Katie G. anyway this is Katie G recovered compulsive overeater anorexic and bulimic starting my timer yeah, I mean, if somebody told me I was a compulsive over your anorexic and bulimic, I run the other way. Don't brand me anything like go screw. Like I can't handle you telling me what to do, but if you start telling me what your story is and um I don't know, I mean, I just love this um this uh, the amazing way that it tells me like the I guess it's the detachment, right? Like I'm not here to tell you what you are and it can be so confusing coming in here when there are hard eaters and you know there are a lot of people when I when I'm asked to sponsor them I explain what it is I do and then I say look you may not have my disease you may not need to weigh and measure your food and work a structured program and follow the book and put your program first so that you can live your life but I do why? Because my eating, my not eating, my starving, my thinking, you know, that first bite prevents normal functioning of the willpower. So I got to graduate from college and that was the last functional thing I did. And then carefully, brick by brick. You know, bit by bit, my life was torn down by the disease of compulsive overeating, anorexia, and bulimia. And I cannot control my eating. And if I get into the ring with the food, it is going to kick my butt. And so I share these stories because that is the only way... That's, that's all I have, right? That's what I have. I have the story of what happened to me and how following the directions in the book has changed my life. And again, it can be so confusing. Like people say, oh, well, why do you have to You know, why is getting a clear food plan important? And it's, and and, you know, like, because we're in this diet mentality where, oh, you can have a little bit of this or a little bit of that. There is no such thing. If I, if I was a cocaine addict, right, and I called you up and I said, I'm done with cocaine, but I'm taking, you know, diet cocaine, that wouldn't be okay for me, right? So I have to develop for me a black and white plan of eating so that I can go through the steps and have a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps so that my mental inconsistencies are clear so that God is showing me every single day what my mental inconsistencies are. But you know, as so many places in the book say, it is not for me to stand on my soapbox and say, thou shalt do this. It's up to you. You can draw your own conclusion because, frankly, if you, get, if you start working with me and you don't have a disease I have, you're not going to do what it is I need to do to stay alive today one day at a time. And it is a privilege to do this one day at a time, shoulder to shoulder, with all of you, and
1: with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie G. Okay, now, Amanda B., you're up, followed by Vasa O. Amanda B. Starwanda and you? Hi, this is Amanda B. Can you hear me? Yes. Thanks, Katie.
7: Hi, this is Amanda B. compulsive um, Reader in Canada. And I just, I love the part about um, the mental twist. And, um, you know, working with people, you see them, as it says in the big book, they get down, 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 and then they write up when, I tell them about how many dietitians and how many professionals I went to. And I remember what the, the last dietitian said to me, listen, I just don't know if I could help you. And and they said, there's so many strings of people, to, the professionals, they said, I said, I just don't know how to help you. Like, and, and I felt like such a failure. Oh, my gosh. It's like these people can't help me. There's something wrong with me. And I didn't know that that was the biggest blessing. There's something wrong with me. And they don't get it because there's a mental twist. And when I talk to someone and say, you know, I used to drink eight cups of coffee a day so I could run up the stairs so I could, all this exercise, bulimia, and this and that. Or I'd say, you know, my hand goes into blah, 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 and I just can't stop like a robot. Like, my hand has a mind of its own. And you see these people that are other compulsive overeaters say, yeah, me too, when you see them, they're, they just think, I don't want to see me too. You never want to see me too. But the joy of me too is that you've recovered so I can recover. And there's a solution. And I just know that like trying out, like letting go of the, I can only get the new way of life by letting go of the old way. And letting go of the old way is so scary because I don't know what I'm going to get. And the only reason that I trust another compulsive reader is because they can explain to me That mental twist, the robot that comes inside of them, that takes them over. I mean, I came to program saying, I need an exorcism. Does anybody have an exorcism? I need this to be lifted out of me. And every single step to me is counterintuitive. It's like, okay, what do I need to do? It's like, you need to give up. And I thought, oh, my God. You know, and each step does the opposite of what my ego or my belief says to do. So um, it is really being able to trust somebody only because they can explain with such accuracy the mental twist and understand me in a way that every professional said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. It was the last stop on the block. So I feel so grateful to be here. I feel grateful to have the courage to share on the scary vision for you, meeting that I make it up to be in my head, <laughs> but I have to pray for my fear to be removed about. And, um, and I just I feel so grateful to be here with my, my people. And with that, I pass. Thank you,
0: Amanda. Vasa Oh, you're up. Then Janice O.
8: Thank you. Good morning everyone. Thank you, Katie, for your service. And I'm Vasa grateful, grateful recovered compulsive over here calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And says, Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. Uh, I, I had a conversation with my neighbor just the other day, and she's uh, always struggling with the food, and uh, she and she talks about it. Then you know, and she's she's known for years that I've been in Overeaters Anonymous, and she's come to my house, my to, my home meetings on Tuesday night. And I don't care who's at my house. I always say, you know, I will be happy to sit with you till like five or ten minutes off because my meeting is only like a couple miles from my house and I'm going to my OA OA meeting. And she admires me, what I do, you know. But yet she talks about what she's not doing, complaining. I'm just sitting around. My metabolism is slow. That's why I'm not um, losing any weight and whatever, you know. And um, I just tell her what I do. And I tell her about the allergy and how she says, "You're still doing that." I feel so sorry for you. You've been doing that for 32 years, and you cannot have this or that. I said, "No, don't be feel don't feel sorry." I I am so thrilled that I found out that I have a disease. Uh, that I learned about my allergy. I cannot put those uh, alcoholic foods into my body. And I'm grateful, I'm freed from from the compulsion of overeating. And again, she doesn't get it, but it doesn't matter whether she gets it or not. I get it myself. And I don't have to diagnose other people who they are or what they are. I need to diagnose myself. And I had no problem diagnosing myself, you know, that I knew, I knew I was just shocked it was called a disease when I came in the program or I, had, I was compulsive over either. I, I didn't know. I did not know that. And I was relieved in many ways to find out, okay, now I know, but now the solution is right here. Follow the directions, the, you know, the 12 steps, having had a spiritual experience. as the result of these steps we tried to carry the message and practice the principles in all affairs. And I do this to the best of my abilities. I don't do it perfectly. I work the steps the way they're laid out. And it's a relief to me. I don't, you know, it's my program. I don't have to be chasing people all over and give it to them, what, you know, what they don't want or they don't want to work on it. So, it, you know, keeping the focus on myself and share my own experience, and I just let it go. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass.
0: Thank you, Vasa.
1: Okay, Janice O, you're up, and then we'll open it up for others. Janice O, press star 1 to unmute.
9: Can you hear me? Sorry about that.
0: Yes, I can. Thank you.
9: Hi. This is Jana Oh, I'm a Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Bulimic in Connecticut and extremely grateful to be on the phone line live today um, because of my schedule normally I'm only able to listen and um, so I'm just grateful that, that you guys are there and that I have that opportunity. Um, these paragraphs, this is outstanding. Um, what this reminded me of this morning and the shares that I've heard is when I first came in, I was not overweight. I was very thin and I was like, I don't have what they have. I, I I don't know why they told me, you know, my therapist told me to go to OA. I don't understand it. But when you started sharing and I heard, you know, what you did with food, I was like, oh, yes, I am home. I didn't exactly get it. I wasn't willing at that time, and it took me years to get back here. And in that time, I gained 80 pounds, lost it, gained more than that, went up and down the scale. And when I came back, you opened, you welcomed me with open arms. And, again, I heard what you did with food, and I knew that's what I do and that I belonged, and I was willing to put the food down and work this program that I might have the rest of the gift of the program, that that obsession and compulsion would be removed. Um, and, you know, it was funny, Voss was talking about her neighbor, and I was thinking about that as I was listening this morning because I have a neighbor and I don't talk to her very often. She's, and just because of our schedules, and, and recently she told me, oh, I'm doing Weight Watchers again, and I, I shared with her, but I probably didn't share what I needed. And this reminds me of what I need to be sharing. You know, she's like, oh, you've never been heavy. And I'm like, oh, yes, I have. But I need to share what this disease does for me and what it looks like for me. Um, How I can't stop eating and that obsession. And, you know, I take that first bite and it leads to the compulsion and I can't stop. Um, I am so grateful for you know, Bill W. and and Dr. Bob, and for everyone that's on this meeting and, and working this program, because it gives me hope. And I know that I can pass it on. It also keeps it green for me when I share where I've been and what I did with food and what my recovery looks like. For that, I'm grateful. And I'm looking forward to seeing everyone live in less than two weeks. So I will be at the conference. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank
10: you.
0: Thank you so much, Jana O. Oh, okay, who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? We're on page That's two. Who we are. Bottom of 91 Greg. and the...
10: Barbara okay. right.
0: E. Lisa Nita J. Larry okay. J. One second. Okay, I'm going to
11: Elizabeth C. Okay.
0: Okay, you're making it worse. Now I'm forgetting all the ones that I heard. I have Julie R. And there was someone. Um, Larry, Lisa B. Barbara,
12: Larry J. Barbara E. Craig B.
0: J. Craig B. was the second one. Okay. Anita Barbara J. E. Yes, I got you, Barbara E.
10: Thank you. Elizabeth Chow.
0: C. Elizabeth C. Lisa B. Lisa B. Lisa B., I got you. Okay. Kim G. Yes, Kim G. Leah M. Leah M. Okay, that's Moment. a long list. I'm going to stop there. Uh, I'll put you in there, Melissa C. Um, okay, Julie R., Craig B., Larry K., Lisa B., Barbara E., Greg, I guess it's Greg B., um, Barbara E., Anita J., Elizabeth C., Kim G., Leah M., and Melissa C. Okay. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 10 divided by 25, you all get two minutes, two and a half minutes if you want to share. Go ahead, please, Um, Julie R. Hi. Thank you,
13: KDF. Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I don't have my book in front of me, but, you know, the, the gist of this is, you know, it's all about letting the person that you're talking to know the fatal nature of this disease, right? You know, what identification is so key here. And, you know, if that person's a real alcoholic, you don't have to do anything but tell your story, the hell, the torture, the depth, of despair that you went in. Um, some of us, you know, have gained a lot of weight. Some of us are underweight, whatever. But it's the hell that is in, in, in our head. And, you know, when I can't have somebody lecture me Because that doesn't work. I mean, I've been bribed all my life. I'll give you $1,000 if you lose 10 pounds for my parents. I'll buy you a new wardrobe. None of that stuff works. I have got to talk to somebody who has done things that I have done with food and has the kind of brain that I have. So it's like, first of all, I've got to figure out if if this person that I'm going to make this approach to is a real alcoholic. Because um, somebody else said, our rooms are full of moderate eaters and when moderate eater sponsors somebody like me it's really ugly because i i don't know what moderation is i don't cannot pick up any of my alcoholic foods even for one bite and you know the the key thing here is that complete entire abstinence right before we start working with somebody you got to be clear headed because when i'm drunk on food i am not listening so you know it i have got to identify with somebody and that's what happened to me. Every time I came back to OA, even when I was in the rooms, it was because somebody talked to me about where they were and where they're
1: not now and into the solution. And with that, I passed. Thank you, Julie R. Okay, next is Greg B. followed by Larry K. Press star one to unmute, please. Hi, this is Greg. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you.
14: Good morning. Thank you so much for your service. Good morning, Greg B., covered compulsive over here in California. Yeah, I love this part of the book. Uh, For many years, uh, I I didn't pay attention to this part of the book, and uh, I would just tell everybody what my story is and tell everybody what they should eat, and tell everybody. That doesn't say tell everybody everything you know and convert them. Uh, It says, don't be a reformer, don't be an evangelist. So practical experience shows that nothing will ensure us immunity like this step. So we do this for ourselves? And we do it for ourselves. We want to help people, but I'm not a saint. I'm not Jesus. I'm just another person that had this experience. And that's why this program is so effective is because we've had the experience. I agree with what people said that you can't be drunk. If, if I went into AA and I was in I have been in AA for a long time, before OA, uh, if I went into AA drunk and I was telling people what to do, they'd think I was ludicrous and crazy. Yet in the rooms of OA, there's a lot of drunk people walking around, you know? Bless them, you know? I, I spent time doing that too. Um, I need to have uh, the experience myself, but I also need to listen. I need to listen to the prospect because nothing will drive somebody away as a bunch of preachers. And we got them here. (laughs) I'm one of them. You know, I'll get on my soapbox and I'll tell you how to work the program and what works and vision for you and big book and stuff, all this stuff. Listen, tell me your story. Tell me about yourself. What brings you here today? You know, if they are an alcoholic like me, they'll take to the program. They'll, And even if they are an alcoholic and they're not ready at that point, they might come back later. Um, Might resemble all those uh, behaviors. So we do it for ourselves to keep us sober. But at the same time, it's an avocation. You know, what's beautiful about this program and everybody on this line, we're not getting paid for this. You know, we're doing this because we love it. We're not doctors. Thank thank Harry Power for that. We're not nutritionists. Uh no nothing against them, but you know, we've we're we're um taking our own medicine here, folks. And and that's beautiful. That's what's so beautiful about the twelve steps. So I'm Greg in California, grateful to be absolutely covered. And uh I'm gonna keep coming back and when I can actually be live on the meeting, that's uh, amazing. So thanks everybody. Yes.
0: Thank you, Greg. Okay, Larry K. you're up, followed by Lisa B.
15: Good morning Larry Kay, uh recovered compostal overeater um from chicago i i like what Greg had to say um makes a lot of sense the um you know it's interesting um there there's a reason why advice fails um to be fair you know we we all as it's the human condition we want to tell other people how to live we can't help it you know we all have strong points of view and we believe that others should do or think as we should do and and, and most of us are, are all too uh, comfortable expressing those those view to others I know that I can be at times whether they they're interested or not in those those things but one of the reasons that I don't I try my best not to offer advice I just draw draw you know someone to my experience you know um, you know I say things like uh, look I could stop I stopped hundreds of times. It's just true. I just couldn't stay stopped. Rarely do I meet someone in the throes of this disease that say, I, I, I just can't relate, Larry, can't relate to that at all. No, they, they can relate completely. They, they're they like, yes, yes, you can see their head bobbing up and down, right? See, research, you know, I know a little bit about research and why advice, uh, advice fails um, in studying this. There's uh, some theories that informs us that whenever we – Whenever someone tells us what to do and how to do it, we respond the way humans respond, which is with a defensive defiance. And the reason the research suggests the reason we do that is we want to maximize our personal freedom and our own decision making. We don't want to be told what to do. So even if we hear something that makes perfect sense, if it's expressed as you know you should do this. We are going to have that defensive defiance because we want to maximize our personal freedom in decision-making. So we know that telling others what they should do, even if it's reasonable advice, which it often is, rarely, if ever, works. But you'd never know this by the endless roster of, you know, we see self-help books, we see advice gurus, we, you know, as Greg says, people on the line, could be me at times, I hope not, but... Um, But I I really try not to tell other people what to do. I just tell them about what happened to me. And if they're interested interested to learn more, I'll share more on what I did. That seems to be a a prescription that's worked for, for 90 years. With that, I'll pass. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Larry. Lisa B., you're up, followed by Barbara E. Good morning. This is Lisa B., a recovered compulsive
16: overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And what stands out for me is show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. If he is alcoholic, he will understand you at once. And when I look at the chapter and more about alcoholism, it says once more the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. And, you know, that's what it was like for me. At certain times I could. But I would always end up going back, you know, going back to the food. And, you know, the mental twist for me is such a powerful thing. It's so pervasive. It goes underground. It changes. It morphs into other things, even being recovered. It morphs into huge amounts of self-pity, huge amounts of fear and uh, self-centeredness. And I'm so grateful for this 12th of the gift of being able to speak to others that are sick and suffering that are not recovered that are in the food because they help me so much more than I think I'm helping them because I'm reminded of this pervasiveness of the illness of what's waiting for me and that in fact the food is the last thing that shows up, that it's all the other stuff that shows up first. But that mental twist is what brought me to my knees. That spiritual pain, a mental anguish, the emotional anguish that still can rear its head for me even in a recovered state. And that's why I'm so grateful for steps ten, eleven, and twelve. And um, you know, this this is such a gift, this twelve step. I'm so grateful for all of the steps, but the twelve step keeps me um, green, it helps me to be of service, to get out of myself, to share my experience, strength and hope. I am uniquely qualified to share this to someone that is truly a um, compulsive overeater of the seemingly hopeless variety. And when they hear me talk about this mental anguish and at times having no mental defense, they're going to identify in and they will start to share their, their stories. Um, so, that's what I wanted to share. I'm so grateful to be here, and thank
0: you for all being there at passed. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, Barbara E. Europe, followed by Anita J.
12: Thank you so much, Katie. I'm so glad to be here today. Happy Labor Day to everyone who's still working out there and is getting the day off. i what I hear here is don't focus on them. Focus on me. Tell them my experience with all the different programs that there is a mental twist that no matter how far down the ladder I'd gone, there would come a day when I would snap and I would be pulled down into that cavern of compulsive overeating and I wouldn't know how to stop. Uh, I wouldn't know when it would happen. I wouldn't know why it would happen. Sometimes it would come just at the most inconvenient time, and I could overeat on anything. But I had certain foods that I knew I could overeat on. I told them about my gaining weight and losing weight. I didn't focus on God. This was not the time I felt to focus. They had to decide for themselves whether they fit the pattern of a true compulsive overeater. If they didn't, they didn't. If they did, they might get that little seed, that little glimmer of hope that there might be something for them. When I went to my internist many years ago, he asked me if I would be interested in speaking to someone in OA that was a patient of his I did and she focused on God I wasn't ready for God I wanted to lose weight and live in a normal body so I never went to a meeting then years later a neighbor who needed to lose weight whose goal was to lose weight said I just started going to a meeting would you be willing to go Well, she had the same affliction I did. Why not? I tried every other diet. So I went with her. And it was wonderful. I was finally there. I recognized myself. I wasn't in denial. I knew I was a compulsive overeater. I had this glimmer of hope in me that if they could do it, I could do it. Gradually, I got introduced to the concept of a higher power. I was willing to accept that. I put my higher power in a sponsor. That was dangerous because when she fell, it shook me to the core. I realized I needed to find a different higher power. It was the rooms. That was not right either because there were rooms that were dumping and rooms that were not. Finally, it came to me. I needed something. Oh, thank you. I needed something outside of myself. I'm getting it here. Have a lovely day.
0: Thank you, Barbara E. Anita J. You're up, followed by Elizabeth C.
17: Yes, good morning. This is Anita J. Recovered out in Massachusetts. Um... My story continues, my story of recovery, and the new chapter, uh, after the death of my husband, um, can be said, uh, not even with words, but by observing, observing, because in the past, there always came something where I relapsed. And um, even when I did the big book way years ago in the 90s, something would come. And during, but before that, I had a message powerful and everybody would want me to sponsor them. And then something happened and I crashed. This time, since I felt, since I became recovered, which was probably in June or July 2014, it's different. And The most dramatic part of it is when my father died in 1990, the first key man in my life, I stood at the grave in a size 8 dress. And I don't know how many months later, I took a 50-pound bite and three years of therapy, and that was the result, and my program went out the window. This time, I walked through the decline of my husband. I've walked through hospice. I've walked through people coming into my home to help me care for him. I've walked through, and and you know why? Because I am working this program of recovery. This God I've got this time can handle anything, and I'm letting him. That's the key. And so a lot of my message now I don't even have to use words. I, I, you know, there's something about that. Pray with words, or you know, if necessary, use words. Uh, so that's all I wanted to share, and um, I'm so grateful because I never quite heard the message the way it was presented. What Bill Wilson meant until Vision. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter if what I don't know. I'm just grateful. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Anita J. Elizabeth C., you're up, followed by Kim G. Can you hear me? Yes.
11: Hi, um, I'm Elizabeth C., and I'm in Florida. Um, I have known for 35 years that I was a compulsive overeater. Um, I worked the 12 steps from the big book, thank God, for the first time I was in. And um, that does not make one immune from a relapse. And I know this from a 13, 14 year relapse. And I had returned to OA, so grateful to find a meeting that was focused on the 12 steps. and grateful for two people in that meeting who introduced me to A Vision For You. Um, I have been gone for two and a half weeks. I left abstinent. I left talking to a sponsor, and she and I both agreed that I really probably would benefit from having A Vision For You sponsor. And um, But I knew I needed to wait. I knew I needed to wait until I got home. And um, while I was gone, this mental twist—the um, thing about about it for me—is the mental twist is not something I see coming either. And um, I I took my sponsor's phone number. I took the big book, saying I was going to read a couple pages each day. Um, but I know mean, I was with grandchildren. I didn't end up. Reading the couple pages each day, and unfortunately, I didn't call my sponsor until after that mental twist. And I, my son, said something, and I immediately interpreted it as um, rejection. And um, I have been spending all this time babysitting for nine days for my granddaughter, and. She, the same day, went into wishing I was gone because she wanted her mommy and daddy back. And I just was ready to feel rejected. And so I took on all this rejection and everything, and without even thinking about it, I went through a house that had almost nothing that would trigger my addiction to sugar. And I went on a, on a search like any addict would, and I found the only thing, which was raw sugar that was in the back of the cabinet. And I took a spoonful. And it did not make me feel better. It made me feel worse. And I thought, oh my God, what have I done? And I then emailed my sponsor an extended email and told her I wasn't going to be able to lead the meeting I promised to lead when I came back because I wouldn't have my 30 days of abstinence. And since I did that, I have been now struggling with the craving. Fine. Um, and, and I just know I need a, a Vision for You sponsor. I'd le- like to leave my number because I can't stay on for the second hour. Um, my number is 941-782-4492, and I'm not listed in the um, directory yet. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Elizabeth C. Okay, Kim G, you're up, followed by Leah M. And if time, we'll have Melissa C.
18: Thanks, Katie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, You know, this book, <laughs> well, I love this book. Why is this book 80 years old, and why is it still relevant today? I mean, after all, in the 1930s, right, we had phones that were attached to the wall, and now we have cell phones. You know, Henry Ford was doing those first couple cars, and now – we are probably going to have self-driving cars in the, first, in the next couple of years. And that's because the disease hasn't changed any. The allergy the body is still the same. And specifically, the alcoholic brain hasn't changed. That mental twist hasn't changed. So the way that we approach others ha- doesn't need to change. You know, I think of, the, of Bill's story. How does he leave his story? He talks about the way he drinks, the way he feels, and the way he thinks. That hasn't changed in many years. The progression of the illness from fun and excitement to necessity to oblivion hasn't changed. So it says here, talk about your tr- struggles to stop. Talk about the allergy. Once it's triggered, my inability to reasonably predict how much I'm going to have. And it says, show him the mental twist which leads to the first spree. Why can't I say stop? And when I look at this this way, it makes me understand why I wasn't very effective for many years and over years anonymous. Because when I was told to tell my story, I would talk about being a 12 years in Catholic school kid. I would talk about the fact, you know, hey, I'm 50 years old. I've never been married. I don't have kids. The dogs are the center of my life. I've just taken this group of 300 people listening and probably eliminated 95% of you. But if I talk about the hours of the body, about what am I in comfortability at a family function, and I pick up that food, I now am in the bathroom eating because I cannot stop. Or the torture and the fear of not eating. Because you see, for someone like me with an alcoholic brain, when I put down the food, life gets loud. And I don't know how to shut it off any other way but to put down the food, I mean to pick up the food again. And we talk about wanting to give hope to the newcomer. I absolutely believe that. But the first thing we have to do is we have to sell the hopelessness. Because until I understand that I am screwed, but I have an allergy of the body that is never, ever going to change and a mental obsession which will always convince me to go back to the food, your hope means nothing to me. So we are not selling the 12 steps. What I am doing right now, what we're doing with a prospect, is I'm selling the need
0: for the 12 steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Okay, Leah M., you'll be our last share. And Melissa C., if you could stick around for the second hour, that would be great.
19: Thank you very much. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. You know, the big book has a statement that says, uh, you know, we have recovered and have been given the power to help others, and this is where the power is, is in the identification process you know when i'm talking to a prospect and the big book here you know has a very specific technique that it's laying out i like to call it you know casting the line you put the bait on the hook you cast out the line and you slowly uh and methodically kind of reel it in um because what i'm doing in in sharing my story giving an account of my struggles and the cunning baffling and powerful nature of my illness is that, you know, I'm, I'm aiming to produce a crisis by relating the seriousness of my own experience. It's kind of like turning the screws, you know, that uh, I stopped thousands of times, thousands of times, but I could never stay stopped. I couldn't stop once I started, and I couldn't stop from starting again. And, um, you know, I would talk about putting down food, becoming abstinent, Uh, you know, a phrase that many people are familiar with. But I would describe, you know, when I abstain from my binge foods, when I'm off of them for a while, I start to feel uncomfortable. I start to feel deprived, I'm impatient, I'm on edge, I feel restless, irritable, discontent and those feelings and those thoughts start to build up and crowd my mind and it gets so loud that I have to shut them up and the only way I know how to shut them up is to take that first bite and you know, uh, I, I would go to bed night after night after night crying that this disease was wrapping its talons around my neck like a tight noose, and when I said I wasn't going to eat like that again the next day, I meant it. You know, I didn't want to live that way and again anymore. I meant it. I meant it. And then I would eat again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And taking that first bite, you know, seemed like the best idea. You know, after all those tears. After all those tears, I didn't understand what I was up against. I didn't know the depths to which this disease would grab me by the roots of the hair and drag me around. And, you know, if someone is a real compulsive overeater, they identify in. And, you know, that is the power of carrying the message. We're not here to preach. We're here to share our experience that we no longer live that way. And with that, I pass. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Leah M. Okay, and thank you to everyone who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, Monday, September 4th, 7 a.m. meeting is 10387. That's 10387. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Well, Deborah S please read A
10: Vision for You, Our Book is Meant to Be Suggestive Only. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Deborah S., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick.